is episode 122 of Herpetological Highlights. I'm Ben Marshall, and co-hosting, as always, is Tom Major. We have, well, an episode about lizards living on volcanoes. And that is, I don't know, if you're not excited about lizards living on volcanoes, I, I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, you're listening to the wrong podcast. That's the best we got. Yeah. We've actually got a patron episode, so this is chosen by one of our Patreons. So um, thanks very much, Philip Lietz, for not only being our patron and supporting the podcast, but also picking a cool topic. So Philip wanted, he well, he gave us a few options because I said it can be really tricky to find papers about species which are species. often even like... You can, no, you can just end it there. Just papers yeah. about species. Like the specific species papers can be exceptionally tricky. Yeah, it can be hard to find. And so luckily, Philip was willing to give us quite a few options or different groups. Originally, he wanted Euromastics or Xenogama. But failing that, we had the option of Corotophanes or Phymaturus. And we settled on Phymaturus because it seems like Phymaturus of all those groups are the most well-studied. So uh, yeah, we had a little look and we found this paper, as Ben said, about lizards and volcanoes which is all about how lizards respond to a volcano, which is pretty nutty. So we'll get stuck straight in. This paper is by Barreto Cabezas, Kabish, Sinervo and Ibarguengoitia, 2014, and it's entitled Changes in Female Reproduction and Body Condition in an Endemic Lizard, Phymaturus spectabilis, following the Puyahu Volcanic Ashfall event. Now, before we go on, did you want to undermine the validity of spectabilis as a species i did yeah okay. i think it's necessary let's open with that yeah so we're talking about phymaturus spectabilis according to the title of this paper which did come out eight years ago now so that is a species which was described in 2005 along with a few other species of phymaturus but it actually appears that this species is no longer considered valid and is in fact a synonym of phymaturus spercus so in 2005 this species phymaturus spectabilis that the paper talks about was described on morphological evidence alone so it is physically slightly different than other lizards but it's now no longer considered different enough and as we know you know the physical appearance of species can vary wildly it can still be one be species even if it looks different in yeah. different places yeah. So yeah, there was a paper by Becker et al. 2018, and they basically concluded that a number of Phymaturus species, so Agilis, Excelsus, Spectabilis, and Spercus, are all actually one species, which is highly structured, and they just put them all back together, lumped them, if you will. Into a super species. <laughs> well, yeah, still just a little lizard, but but yeah, this is um, supported. It was actually quite funny reading the paper because um, basically all these little lizards were, were described based on the fact that they kind of look different. A large part of it was that their like colour and patterns were different, mm -hmm. which as we'll see has kind of led to a slightly confusing name for them all. But yeah, all of these species are the same. And there was this observation that in captivity, Phymaturus spectabilis gave birth to individuals which appeared to be Phymaturus agilis based on their pattern <laughs> and vice so versa. Like, so, oh, is it a hybridization sort of scenario? No, they're no. just the same. They're all just the same and they're highly polymorphic. So they come in different colors. And um, yeah, they're now all known as Phymaturus spercus. So now that we know that we're talking about Phymaturus spercus, its common name is the climber lizard. And the species epithet spercus is actually Latin for dirty and refers to its unicolor brown pattern. But of course, 
as we now know, they don't all have <laughs> so there a you brown have, pattern. Now you have a, a species that's named after its uniform pattern, which comes in a dramatic and beautiful variety of colours and patterns. Yeah, but that's the way taxonomy works, you know. The first name is the name, and it always has to be. So when they synonymized them, it was the one which went back the furthest, which was <laughs> given to all of them, and that is Phymaturus yeah. spurcus, the dirty brown boring lizard, even though many of these lizards are extremely beautiful. Well, and in fact, the subpopulation slash population slash whatever the correct name is for the group that we're talking about in this paper, which happened to be rather gorgeous... They're dark, sort of grey-black, with beautiful orange, brownie-orange burnt dapples on them, and a lovely pale underbelly. And a tiny little head. Yeah. I mean, these are chunky, like, round-bodied lizards, so they're very amusing. But the coloration is nearly, sort of, Gila Monster levels. Yeah, I agree. Gila Monster light. Very much that same sort of contrast. Mm. Yeah, and so these lizards, these um, climber lizards, or Phymatolus lizards. Saxicolus lizards in their little rocky zones. They're found in Argentina in the Rio Negro province, which is on the northern edge of Patagonia. So we're getting down pretty far south in South America. And um, the Rio Negro province is named after the big black river that's found there. And the landscape where these little lizards live is characterized by barren steppe and rolling plains. And these plains are interspersed with rocky outcrop- uh, rocky outcrops. And there's kind of shrubby, grassy vegetation that looks like the sort of steps. And there's also little sparse bushes around, which look a bit like tussocks and they call cushion bushes, which is fun. But it's also quite cold there. So, you know, we're down near Patagonia. Like, it's pretty chilly. We're quite well, far south. Yeah, it's cold and then warm, right? Like, it's, it's got quite a dramatic contrast. It's sort of deserty in that sense. Yeah. Mean average temperatures of like 10 to 15 degrees. It's pretty chilly. Yeah, lows of like two and a half, highs of like 17, right? Right. So, I mean, not that dissimilar to the... It's even colder than weather we have here. True. Yeah, I feel like the absolute highs get even higher because of... like You've still got lizards that like to operate around 33 degrees internal temperature. So... That's some pretty proactive basking and thermoregulation to get a full 10 plus degrees up, right? Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. So where these lizards are living in sort of the edges of Patagonia in Argentina, there's a neighbouring volcano. The volcano is actually over in Chile next door, but it's a big volcano and it's called the Puyahu Volcano. Did you go and look for decent pictures of this volcano? I watched a video of the volcano erupting. Yeah, it's it's like the most classic... If you think of your stereotypical volcano, you are thinking of the right type. This classic, what do they call it? Strato... Oh, stratovolcano. That's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the word. <laughs> but it is... Catchy. It's the classic. You've got your lovely subduction zone. You've got this perfect, like, pyramid-like volcano. You've got a wonderful caldera on top. I jumped on Google Maps and I had a little route around. And the street view, or street view equivalent from on top of the volcano, is incredibly impressive. And uh, <laughs> sort of surprisingly, you pop up there, there's a tiny Jack Russell on top of the mountain. <laughs> that went really? Up. Yeah, there's some people that have, that have climbed up the volcano and they've got this little scruffy little Jack Russell with them. <laughs> it was just so on point <laughs> for that sort Thanks. of dog. Wasn't expecting, I thought, yeah, let's see what this volcano looks like next thing you know. <laughs> and Google didn't blur the Jack Russell to protect its identity. No. 
Wow. No. Just goes to show, doesn't yeah, it? It does. They, they have no rights, unfortunately. Stupid dog. No, so um, <laughs> I think listeners of the podcast could actually think that I don't like dogs. I love dogs. I think I've slated dogs. Yeah, if you time. genuinely didn't like dogs, it wouldn't be funny. <laughs> it would be tragic. Yeah, it'd be mean. Yeah, so this is a volcano. It's pretty active, the Puyahu volcano, and it's erupted eight times in the last 150 years. You know, it erupts down again when it feels like it. But when it erupted in 2011, and we're, you know, we're going back to 2014 for this paper. So when it erupted back in 2011, it belched out 100 million tons of ash and much of it landed on the habitat of these little lizards. Mm-hmm. And there's pictures in the paper from the time. And it really does look quite apocalyptic, doesn't it? Everything's bathed in ash. Yeah. I mean, it, apocalyptic's the right word. I mean, you're, you're having everything covered with this ash that then gets sort of mixed with whatever bits of rainfall and ends up poisoning plants. And what they drew repeated attention to is that it acts as a insecticide, essentially, with their silicon dioxide and was it like di-aluminium trioxide? You're poisoning like there's honeybee mortality, there's other insect mortality, there's it's messing with uh, domestic livestock and stuff. They were saying that ash was in the rain for like a full year in areas. Like it's a serious eruption. It's a serious like sudden disturbance event essentially. It's yeah, big time. And yeah, they it killed all the bugs, but it also damaged the plants too. And um, these lizards were actually thought to be completely herbivorous, mostly eating plants. But actually, recent evidence in similar species suggests they can eat bugs. So the ash damaging the insect populations and the plants is kind of a double bad for these lizards. And they wanted to see, didn't they? The thing that they were most interested in looking at in this paper was, okay, so we've got all these little lizards. Are they reproducing as normal after this massive ash event? Like, is it affecting their health in terms of the amount of or the health of the babies that they're producing. Yeah. Because they give birth to live young, right? Yes, two live young is standard. Two little babies. What's really important to highlight is that none of this study would be even possible if they hadn't been studying this population prior to the eruption. Yes, because they don't have nothing to compare right. to. So what were they doing? They were looking at how many babies they were just catching up a bunch of lizards, squeezing them and trying to work out how many babies they had inside, right? (laughs) A little bit of that. They also kept a few females in lab conditions once they'd been caught to see how many uh, offspring there were and the condition of the offspring. And again, this was done prior as well as they basically have two sampling efforts after the eruption, one immediately after, so in the same year and one a year later. Yeah. And that's really where the differences start popping out and the interest starts appearing. Yeah. So let's just talk briefly about how well they were breeding before the eruption. So in the years 2006 to 2011, just before it all kicked off, it was about 60% of adult females were either vitelogenic, which means they have the kind of beginnings of an egg inside them, or they're gravid at any given time. So they're producing young, right? This was in stark contrast to the first season after the ash fall, where only 12% of females were reproductively active. And so this dramatic reduction, which is a lot, you know, to go from 60% of adult females producing young to only 12, it really suggests that there's something, you know, not quite right with the population. And they think that it was because the females basically hadn't been finding enough to eat and that their body condition was much poorer following the ash eruption. Not enough food, you can't make babies. And even those ones that were gravid immediately after the eruption didn't actually successfully reproduce. There weren't offspring from them. So, right. 
even though the capacity was there, essentially, it wasn't successful. So it's, yeah, yeah, dramatic. Yeah, they probably just reabsorbed the young when they realized it was all kicking off with the ash. Yeah. Well, you know, not consciously realized, but when their body noticed that there was not enough nutrition to go around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they looked again a year later, you had the eruption, you had a, a dodgy season for the lizards where they struggled, and then they went back the next year again, and it was quite a marked improvement. The body condition of the lizards had improved, suggesting they can kind of bounce back from these events, and... Um, they were making more babies, right? Yeah, what was it? 87% of the females were gravid at that time. And I think what was sort of neat was their clutch sizes changed from two to like varying between one and three. So it almost feels like the delay of the previous season added towards sort of boosting clutch sizes as this sort of post-eruption recovery. Yeah, it's like, okay, the fact that there was one to three as well suggests that lizards, which yeah. even weren't doing well enough to make two, just were like, yeah, I'll make one. Better to make one than none. Basically, on the face of it, it looks like the eruption delayed for an entire season lizard reproduction for presumably reasons of uh, resource availability. But similarly, in the paper, they highlight the potential differences in activity period available for them i mean you've got ash covering the sky blocking the <laughs> blocking the sun for portions of the year like that is going to have a massive impact on temperature in these lizards ability to bask so yeah it must have felt like the end of the dinosaurs for these little lizards well they just they just bedded down and just survived and their survival was rewarded by <laughs> by the conditions abating the next year or certainly abating enough to reproduce. Yeah, and it's pretty cool. I mean, they suggest in the paper that the lizards have probably evolved alongside this pressure and that it's been selected for. These lizards are part of a population which has in the past weathered these blows. This is a volcano which has erupted a lot and yeah. they have evolved to be hardcore. I mean, the alternative would be that the population that lives on the sides of the volcano is systematically wiped out every you know, 30 to 40 years, and is recolonized by a population nearby. You have a similar sort of scenario with some islands that get with get hit by hurricanes or typhoons, and populations can get decimated and then repopulate through little renegade lizards coming across the seas and finding a new unoccupied lovely home that's just bounced back from a hurricane. Yeah, so that's true. It is cool That's that true. they're still that. there. They're surviving it in situ. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad if they're actually just recolonizing every now and again, like those brave new hope lizards sort of, oh, um, I'm just sort of naturally <laughs> spreading up this volcano. Little do they know that in sort of yep. some amount of time, but like definitely there's going to be a big eruption and they're going to be wiped out again. Yeah. Certainly the data here presents a really stark picture that they do all feel it. You know, body conditions are dropping and certainly the reproductive stuff. There was a side paper that we were just going to touch on, highlighting how it's not just probably a lack of food that's leading to this body condition loss, but actually the underfoot conditions where the ash makes it harder for these lizards to move, basically. You know, I'm sort of oversimplifying the, the findings of that paper, but essentially they're longer movements that are more often associated with like social interactions and things like that are more difficult when on steep slopes with with ashfall so you've got this twin pressure of not only can you 
have a you know you're having a harder time finding food but even moving around is harder and you're going to be using more energy to do it most likely it's yeah it just sounds like such a slog doesn't it It really running does. around in ash just i just would not want to be about when it's so much ash too i mean you see the pictures and it is just covering everything and like ash combined with rainfall and this sort of sludgy oh no it's, it, it's amazing they they hang on to be blunt <laughs> Yeah, it sounds horrible. It really does sound horrible. Just yeah, I mean, I wonder if the lizards who remember the time before the volcano, you know, do they ever think back to the before times when there wasn't an ashy sludge everywhere? Yeah, I mean, everyone wasn't hungry. How long do these little lizards live? I mean, it depends whether or not they live on the slopes of a volcano. Well, that's assuredly true, but um... I don't know, mate, and I don't think they were in that paper that we covered about how long lizards live. Oh, if I had that's to guess, a shame. That's a the shame. thing is, they're in a place which is extremely seasonal, very hot, they're very cold. Mm. So yeah, maybe they live a while. I would, yeah. I mean, that's what I would guess. Like I brought up the Gila monsters as a contrast, but you would suspect that they have pretty good metabolic control to deal with such dramatic changes in temperature and activity period mm. i don't know i was only bringing it up because i wonder if these lizards have if there are any individuals that have survived the 1960 eruption as well as the 2011 one seems like quite that a big would be amazing. Ask. it seems like a bit of a really long time yeah, i'd does. say probably not yeah. yeah but then in the 20s there could have been because there was an eruption 21 22 and 29 and 34 well, then they could have had survivors of multiple yeah. eruptions back then. And then, yeah, so hero lizards. Yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. That's our paper on um, Phymaturus. Importantly, not Phymaturus spectabilis, but in fact, Phymaturus spurcus, the climber lizard, which is a cool little lizard. I like hearing about lizards living in um, on the edge of Patagonia. Just sounds a bit more extreme, doesn't it? Oh, it really lizards does. Tropical yeah. climbs have got it too easy. But we've got a brand new species of Phymaturus as well to go along with this guy. And uh, this is morphological and genetic difference within the Phymaturus pionei clade with the description of two new species uh, written by Lobo, Barasso, Hibbard, Quipildor, Slodki, Valdencantos and Basso. And this was published in 2021 in the South American Journal of Herpetology. So we're still in uh, Argentina talking about these lizards. This is a very rare thing to have pulled off, is actually tracking down a species of the bi-week which is in the same genus as the uh, topic genus. This is yeah. very uncommon. <laughs> and we had to duck a few papers which were just based around colour patterns and stuff because at the top of the show I was talking about how Spurcus is a combination of what was thought to be four species and I think there's other species which will end up going the same way but this one has got some good genetic data to go along with it and there's some morphological differences so I think this is this one's legit and there's two species described in this paper but we're just going to talk about one Robustus yeah Robustus Phymaturus Robustus the most robust little lizard yeah ever big 10 centimeter long chubby lizard yeah they're quite big aren't they well no that's small actually 10 centimeters yeah it's quite small actually it's not that robustus well compared to the other the other species it's the most robustus it's the most robustus is it yeah mm-hmm. and robustus just means it's latin for hard and strong and uh refers to its body size and shape with it being the largest species or at least of the pionei clade which is like a subdivision of phymaturus lizards yeah but yeah quite beautiful 
what do they look like? They're not probably not quite as jazzy as um, Phymaturus spurcus can be, depending on which population you're talking about. No, but no. Yeah, they've got spots. They're sort of dark ground colour with spots. Um, quite a nice sort of tan, sort of spotting all over the back. And the characteristic little blunt head of Phymaturus. And then if you flip them over onto the their backs... Body. <laughs> Yeah, and if you flip them over onto their backs, they've got a little yellow tummy. Yeah. They're very charming. They're very charming lizards. Yeah. Well, actually, the females have got a very yellow tummy. The females, it would appear, have slightly less yellow tummy. Yeah, sort of gentler orange. Yeah. And um, what kind of habitats do they like? I think sort of similarly... sort Saxicolus. (laughs) Yeah, just like rocky outcrops and sort of these areas in the... uh, in the steppe with very little vegetation. It just sounds like a hard life. Well, it does if you've got ash falling on you, but hopefully these guys are, yeah, so they're, they're southern subclades, so they're south, south of these guys. Yeah, I mean, there's volcanoes all around, they're sort of highlighting, so <laughs> it feels like all of these lizards have the memories, the genetic memories of evolving in a volcanic landscape. Hmm. They don't, I don't see any details, I was just double checking, I don't see any details on the sort of specific ecology of our new species. They're highlighting the uh, very Saxicolus lifestyle of, of these lizards in general, but that's kind of where it ends as far as I yeah, can see. Yeah, they just, they concentrate a lot more on the differences between the species. Which is, you know, to be fair, they are describing two species in a single paper, so there's a lot to get, you know, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of species. They are very, very, very specios. So, um, yeah, that's a brand new species, Phymaturus robustus. The other one was called Phymaturus niger that was described in the paper. But yeah, we thought robustus was more exciting robustus. and cool. Robustus, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chunky one. But yeah, really nice lizards. I mean, I guess the cool thing about the other one they described, Phymaturus uh, niger, is that there's quite a lot of melanistic individuals. Mm. So that's quite cool. Some of them are just jet black, which you'd think would make sense, being as they live on the edge of Patagonia, to try and get warm, warm, warm. Yes, yes. If it is linked to Phymaturus, I mean, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So yeah, I think that pretty much concludes our episode on Phymaturus. Thanks very much again to Philip Lietz for the suggestion and for being our patron and if you want to become a patreon and pick a topic for an episode or receive the other benefits which we offer then you can go to patreon.com slash herp highlights have you got any other business i have no any other business okay i've got one piece of other business and that is just to thank a brand new patron still on the patron flex and that is richard kaspar so thanks very much richard hugely appreciate it thanks to all the patrons Right. Okay, then, Ben. Well, I think if anyone wants to get in touch with us, they can. If we've got anything wrong, we love corrections. Similarly, if you want to ask us a question, herphighlights at gmail.com is the best way to get in touch with us. You can find us on social media at herphighlights. We're at herp underscore highlights on Instagram. So, yeah, check us out there. And I think that's about it. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Mm -hmm.